In this era of grave spiritual crisis, it is not enough to simply know about your Catholic faith. That is why we need a Catholic toolbox to equip us with the practical skills necessary to live our Catholic faith to reach our ultimate goal, which is heaven for all eternity. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Join us every Tuesday night at 8pm for the Catholic Toolbox as we hand you the tools to go forth, live the faith and change our modern world today. Live on The Voice of Charity. Welcome back to another week on the Catholic Toolbox, the art of practical Catholicism. I'm your host and founder, George Manasseh, here as we equip you with practical tools to live your faith in our modern world of today. And this week, we're going into the topic of suffering with our regular guest, Father John Flader. Welcome back to the show. Good to be here again, George. Thank you. Great to see you. Hope uh, you haven't been busy lately. I have been busy, of course. I'm always busy. <laughs> <laughs> You're always busy. Um, but let's get straight into the topic, suffering. It's not something that many people are comfortable with uh, to discuss, but we're going to pa pack it open today and discuss the role of suffering in our salvation and the whole principle of suffering. Why, why does God allow suffering? Why would a good God allow suffering, Father? <laughs> I was telling somebody today, and this is partially related to your question. If we weren't tested, if we had no temptations against any virtue, there would be no merit in being a good person. We weren't tested. But when we're tested in our patience, in our um, fortitude and whatever sort, in our charity and, and chastity, of course, then when we're tested, and we overcome the test, we pass the test by overcoming the temptation, there's a lot of merit, we store up treasure in heaven. And God allows suffering too as part of our testing. And obviously he sent his only begotten son, Jesus, to die on the cross. No greater love does a man have than he laid down his life for his friend. And when Christ suffered that much for us, and he suffered more than we'll ever suffer. In fact, I was just quoting yesterday or today in the meditation, I think it's St. Augustine who says, and it may not be St. Augustine, but the, the reality is someone was saying, what Christ suffered, when we think of his passion, we think of the agony in the garden, scourging at the pillar, crowning with thorns, carrying of the cross, and then the agony of crucifixion. What he suffered is what we deserve for our sins. And that is frightening, that we deserve to suffer like that for our sin, but Christ suffered so that we wouldn't have to suffer that much, but he allows us to suffer. And as we'll see when we consider what I wrote about in my book, the final exam, which we're going to refer to, oops, that doesn't look like it's very easy to read. Yeah. The final exam. The latest <clears throat> book that is, uh, is now available on all platforms and uh, you can access it anywhere through Perusia Media and all online platforms, the final exam. Yeah, and um, uh, it's, uh, I, I distinguish there 
seven blessings of suffering. When our Lord says, blessed are you when you mourn, blessed are you when you're persecuted, and so on, then there must be some blessing in suffering. And when all is said and done, everybody suffers. Mm -hmm. Everybody has some form of suffering, whether it's a headache, whether it's not getting much sleep one night, or whether it is the more... <clears throat> the more um, serious forms of suffering like a, a broken bone, a cancer. And of course, one, distinction, one important distinction in the area of suffering is the distinction between physical suffering and moral suffering. Physical suffering is experienced in the body. So that's tiredness, it's a headache, it's chronic pain, backaches, arthritis, you name it, cancer, of course. But then moral suffering is not experienced in the body, although it may pass to the body too. It's experienced in the soul. And this is the, the suffering that we have, for example, when someone near to us is suffering. For example, a mother or a father seeing their little baby with a high favor, maybe crying in, in that uh, favor, or maybe some pain, a toothache, an earache, and the parents suffer moral suffering. It's the betrayal of a spouse who has let us down. It is the death of someone near us. All the forms of suffering generally of someone near us, maybe undergoing physical suffering or maybe some sin that they've committed, we suffer with them. So uh, there's moral suffering in the, in the soul and physical suffering in the body. Between those two, we all have quite a bit of suffering in our life. God allows that. God sent his only begotten son to suffer. But if we go back to original sin, not that I'm thinking out loud, suffering began with original sin. When Adam and Eve were created, they were created in the state of grace, in a state of friendship with God, and suffering and death entered the world as a result of that sin. So Adam would earn his bread by the sweat of his brow. Eve would experience pain in, in childbirth and ever after suffering for everyone. So that's the beginning of it, if we like, and we will all have it. And we can benefit from suffering if we accept it well, and then it can sanctify us. It can be part of our salvation part of our sanctification and and speed up our journey to heaven exactly exactly so suffering it's very clear that suffering uh can be redeemed i mean we, we have the whole concept of redemptive suffering which can also be offered up and it can be a lot of grace there and uh, that we can offer up in our day-to-day -day lives but let's speak about the the connection of suffering, how we can connect that to our Lord's suffering, what's the and redemptive suffering for those who are listening here today? Okay, now that that's one of the blessings is that it unites us with our Lord. And <clears throat> for example, Saint Paul writes to the Galatians, "I have been crucified with Christ; I live now, not I, but Christ." lives in me. I have been crucified with Christ. It was all the suffering that St. Paul was undergoing. And then, of course, we can have those voluntary sufferings that we undertake 
when we do penance, when we offer up our work or our our uh, de denial of food or the exercise we do, then it, we are, Christ lives in us and we live in him. Let me just read something from my book. I have to put on my glasses for this. But it's a woman that I knew in Canberra who was dying of cancer. She was a mother of six and she was dying in 1987. And she kept a diary which her husband didn't know that she had. And when she died, he found it. And he showed me this, this page. And I asked him, can I copy that? I've copied it and I've used it multiple times since then. And I'm still leafing over the page to find page 65 in this book, the final exam. I highly recommend everybody get a copy of this book. It's a terrific book. Uh, the final exam, and it, it really makes you think and ponder the last things for everybody. I mean, it's a, it's a great title, The Final Exam. <laughs> it's the only yeah. exam. <laughs> As you say, in our lifetimes, we take many exams, but this exam, we cannot afford uh, to, to fail. <laughs> it's the final one. We can't, we can't uh, fail this one. She wrote, the pain in my chest is crushing me. As the pain crushed you, capital Y, as you struggled to breathe while you hung on the cross. You are in my pain. I am in yours. We are one, my God and I. What else can I ever ask for? In this, you have given me proof of your love. What an extraordinary statement. And that woman was a saint. Anyone that can be in the tremendous pain in the terminal stages of cancer. The pain in my chest is crushing me. I mean, this is really serious pain. But then she associates that with Christ as the pain crushed Christ as he hung on the cross, struggling to breathe. But then she says, you are in my pain. I am in yours. We are one, my God and I. Christ lives in us. We live in him in that pain. What else can I ever ask for? And this, you have given me proof of your love. She says, love. And many people suffering that would say, where is God? He can't love me. He wouldn't allow me to suffer like this. And that woman knew that Christ himself had suffered. And now she was suffering in union with him. And that was a proof of his love. Those I love, I chastise. He says a couple of times, at least once in the book of Revelation. And, and the saints suffered. In fact, the Curie of ours writes something that the, the greater the saint, the more they suffered. We look at some of them, the Curie of ours, the martyrs, of course, modern day saints had a lot of suffering. So those I love, I chastise. Those I love, I allow to suffer. So it's a proof of God's love. So that's one of the, the blessings of suffering. It brings us closer to God. And one of the ways I, I put in this chapter too, I just had a look at it this afternoon, so I'm familiar with it, even though I wrote this last year, is when people are suffering, even when they had no faith in God at all, when they're suffering, and especially feeling that perhaps they're coming to the end of their life, they're dying, off, 
often they turn to prayer. They turn to God, Lord, help me. And that brings them closer to God. As they say, there are no atheists in foxholes in an army, in a trench, when, when death is raining down around them in mortars and bombs and people are getting killed, there are no atheists there. They, they know God is present somehow in that. I mean, it really, pondering on it, it's, it's, it's not as if suffering is something willed by God um, or it's something that's, that's good in, in and of itself. It can be redeemed and used. But, I mean, to, you sort of understand why God allows suffering perhaps to draw us closer to him. Because it, as you said, in, in a war zone, in the trenches, when someone's suffering and nearing death, atheism at least starts to dissolve and people start to look the reality of their life. They're put in the zone of <laughs> this is the end. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I really understand what you're saying there. So, so, so God is essentially using suffering to draw us closer to him in those moments of suffering. Yeah, exactly. And when you think of God, does God will it or does God merely allow it? So we distinguish between God's permissive will. He permits it. For example, he permits our sins, which can cause injury to other people. The, the murder, the stabbing today in the campus of ANU in, in Canberra, or the, the betrayal of a husband for his wife or a wife for a husband. There's, there's, he permits sin that can hurt another people. That is permissive will. He doesn't want that. But he does will suffering in some sense that he willed that his only begotten son would become man and suffer and die on the cross. I mean, the blessed Trinity concurred in that way of redeeming us. So it was God's not only permissive will, but that was his, what he wanted to happen. So in ca some cases, he wants us to suffer because he knows when he allows it, when he, when he wants it, that this will draw someone closer to him. Um, I mean, it's, it's really amazing, his permissive will. So for those who are, who are listening who don't know what the permissive will is and also the active will of God, just clarify that for our listeners, because it can well, be as I said, somewhat confusing. God doesn't will anyone's sin, but he does allow it. And so often when someone has done something that has hurt another, that has very beneficial effects. Let me tell you one example, which is in the book, but I've heard subsequently and just very recently a, a, an effect of that. We go back to that 1st of February. It's now, I think, two or three years ago when a driver under the influence of alcohol and drugs driving at at least twice the speed limit on a Sydney street killed four children, three of them children of one family. And immediately the next day, the parents forgave the driver uh -huh. and that affected the whole of this country. They set up afterwards, I forgive day, which has become a national yeah. day and it's a matter yeah, of the Abdullah family yeah. taking it up. 
but people learning to forgive when they have been really hurt. And that family was really hurt. They lost three of their children. But just recently, I understand, the father of the three children who died went to visit the man in prison. And apparently, he has had a big conversion. He now wants to become a Catholic. And he has a spiritual director who is, in fact, the spiritual director of the, the father of the three children. And apparently, when the father was visiting this man in jail, Father's Day was approaching. And he asked him, what would you do for Father's Day? And the man explained that his own sister had died of cancer last year. And now there were two children in the family. The sister has died. And this, this man, the brother, is in jail. And he said, isn't that going to be tough for your, for your father for Father's Day? What would you normally do for Father's Day? And he said, I would go to Bunnings. I would buy a gift card, a voucher, and I would give it to him. And he could use it for whatever he wanted from Bunnings. And what does this man do? As I understand it from someone who told me close to him, he bought a gift card, drove to Newcastle, and gave it to him for Father's Day. Now, if that isn't virtue in the extreme, and that all came when a man under the influence of alcohol and drugs plowed into seven children, left four of them dead, another in a coma for a long time, and others injured. So it brought many people closer to God. Absolutely. I mean, the forgiveness uh, to that level, I think, absolutely, with, with the Abdullah family and the Saka family, just absolutely tremendous, an absolute tremendous example for our country and for the world. And that's absolutely amazing. But let's continue through your book. What else do you have to say within your book of the final judgment about suffering? And, and well, let me, let me just scroll back a couple of pages. Yeah. We are on blessing number three of mm -hmm. seven. And that's suffering brings people closer to God. It may not, yep. but often it does. But let's go back to number one. And suffering strengthens character. For example, think of migrants who have come to this country, highly qualified in some area, came to Australia, didn't know the language. Their qualifications were not recognized. In some cases, they could do further study and have them recognized. In other cases, that was too arduous, given the fact that they were married and had children and couldn't study and they had to take up some other job. Or somebody who started a business and then in hard times, the business failed and they started over. Think of people who were born blind or deaf or dumb. Think of Helen Keller, who had all three of those disabilities. And they overcame those disabilities, those difficulties in their life, and became extremely strong in achieving something notable with their life. If they didn't have the adversity, they wouldn't be the people that they were. I remember when we had the Paralympics, the last Olympics, and they had either the story was in print or they interviewed this man. He was fighting in, I think it was Afghanistan. 
a, a landmine, I think it was, exploded and it blew off his leg. And he said, when he was lying there, he was already thinking, what am I going to do now? Well, he became a Paralympian and probably won a medal or they wouldn't have been interviewing him. See, some people can rise from tragedy and, and achieve great things. And Well, there's another story here, but I'm, I'm not going to yeah. read that. So that's number one. It strengthens character. We've seen that in people. In some people, it diminishes them. They go to pieces. But in many, they overcome it and they become much greater persons as a result. Number two, suffering helps one to be more sympathetic towards others who are suffering. Now, this is the experience of anyone who has gone through, especially greater forms of suffering. They have really been to the wall with that suffering. And again, it might've been physical suffering, cancer or arthritis or whatever, it might've been moral suffering. This father and mother who lost three children, they've, they've really had to, to bear suffering. They can understand parents who have lost children. And one of those parents, which is, um, not, not the, 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 the parents of the three children, but the one of the one who died. I think she set up a, a website for people who have lost children, just a support group for people who have lost children. She sympathizes with any parent who has lost a child. And, and she is more sympathetic. Take John Paul II. He had any number of forms of suffering the biggest one, of course, when he was shot in 1981 on the Feast of Our Lady of Fatima, the 13th of May. But then he had um, illnesses after that, and he really suffered. But he could write Salvifici Dolores, that I think it's apostolic letter on the Christian meaning of suffering. He understood suffering. So that's an obvious blessing. Anyone who has suffered understands another always suffering. They're much more sympathetic. They can show compassion, compassion from the Latin meaning to suffer with. Then number three, suffering brings people closer to God. We talked about that. And then four, suffering is a manifestation of God's love. We mentioned that too, where God says, those I love, I chastise. And a passage that I was referring to, I did give a talk yesterday afternoon. And I referred to this passage in Hebrews chapter 12. And it says in part, For the Lord disciplines him whom he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Parents love their children. and they discipline them when they've done wrong, whether it is they make them go to bed without eating or not drive the car because they had an accident driving recklessly or all the forms of discipline um, that parents will, will impose on their children because they love them. It's a good thing. So as parents discipline their children because they love them, so God disciplines us because he loves us. And that passage goes on to say that our earthly fathers disciplined us for a short time 
at their pleasure. But he, that is God, disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. If we accept the suffering, it unites us with God, and then we grow in, in holiness. And we don't understand sometimes why this suffering. And years ago, I was giving a talk. In fact, this chapter in this book is based on a talk that I gave in the University of Tasmania when I was chaplain there. And I was running bioethics seminars. And there was one in which I gave a paper on the Christian meaning of suffering. There was a woman who was suffering from schizophrenia, I think, who would drop into the chaplaincy every now and then or would ring me on the phone. She was very short uh, in her conversations, thank God. And she would often drop in with an envelope with $5 in it for a mass to be celebrated for her intentions. Well, one day, just as I was preparing this talk, she dropped in an envelope. It probably had the $5 in it as well. But there was a little card with a poem called The Weaver. And it, it really captured what I was trying to say in the Christian meaning of suffering. Let me just read that poem. Mm -hmm. My life is but a weaving between my Lord and mate. I cannot choose the colors. He worketh steadily. Oft times he weaveth sorrow. And I, in foolish pride, forget he sees the upper and I the underside. And we imagine a tapestry. The, the 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 artifact the artificer of the tapestry sees it from the top but there's a host of knots underneath and that's what we're seeing in life not till the loom is silent and the shuttles cease to fly shall god unroll the canvas and explain the reason why the dark threads that is the suffering are as needful in the weaver's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. We look at the, the tapestry, we look at a painting, the chiaroscuro school of Caravaggio and others, and there's a lot of darkness, but that offsets the light. The darkness is suffering in our life. God is the weaver, God is the painter who wants to mix the color with the darkness, with the suffering. So God has a plan. When we get to heaven, we'll unroll the canvas and discover why. And we will see, and often we see it in life, how much good that suffering did us. So that's four. We're getting there. It's five. Suffering can help to make up for our sins. Mm. Here comes yeah. the penances. And we should never forget there are both active penances, active mortifications, and passive ones. The passive ones are the ones that life brings. We will have a headache. We didn't look for it. We will have aches and pains. We will have a sickness. We might have a cancer, whatever. These are the passive mortifications. Well, let's take advantage of them. Just as we can do penances in Lent and on Fridays, doing something that costs us and offering it up to God to make up for our sins, and we'll come to another one, offering it up for others too. So we can offer up the headache, the sleepless night, the crying child, whatever we are suffering, think, well, that's penance too. I can offer that up for my sins. 
and remembering that every sin we commit requires that we do something to make up. We could never make up in full injustice for any venial sin against God Almighty. Yesterday's gospel of the <clears throat> of the parable of the man, the servant who owed 10,000 talents and he was forgiven, and then his fellow servant owed him 100 denarii, which is nothing, and, <clears throat> and he wouldn't forgive him, then we have to do something to make up for our sins. We could never make up for the 10,000 talents. God forgives us, but we, he asks us to do something. That's why we have Lent. That's why we have Fridays. Temporal punishment owing for every sin, venial and mortal. We can make up for a good part of that by offering up our suffering. So suffering has a great value in that sense, and it shortens our time in purgatory. It might avoid us purgatory altogether. Now, one concept that I'd like to bring in, which I have, and I haven't seen anyone else use this same terminology, but we have a spiritual bank account with God. We all do. Uh -huh. When yeah. we are baptized, our account is in very positive territory. We start to sin, and we're, we're withdrawing from the from the account. And sooner or later, we can go into negative territory. But then our penances, our good deeds, our indulgences help to redress that. And if anyone is asked, and I often tell people I'm giving a retreat or dealing with this topic, if we were to ask ourselves right now, and let's we can do that, the two of us, and our listeners, if I were to die tonight, am I positive that I would go straight to heaven or might I go to purgatory? No one can answer that question with any degree of certainty. I would like to hope that I might go, but I'm not certain. Therefore, we continue our penances. And one thought too on this topic which is just my thought, not everybody would necessarily agree. But <clears throat> as we get older, as we look back over our shoulder at the life behind us, we see ever more sins that we've committed. We're getting older. The line of sin is getting longer. As we look forward, we have no idea when God is going to call us. That time is getting shorter we have less and less time to make up for more and more sins. And therefore, personally, I would say, as we get older, let us intensify our penance, not lessen it. The church, of course, as the good mother that she is, tells us that when we reach the age of 59, we no longer need to fast on Good Friday and, and Ash Wednesday in Lent. We are, no, we are no longer required to fast. But anybody who reaches the age of 59, which is very young, and says, thank God I don't have to fast, is foolish. Let us not stop doing penance. Let us increase it. So suffering it can be offered up for our sins. Then Has the bar in the church, Father, do you think, been set a little bit lower after the council because of the, the change in society and the moral relaxation of um of our society <laughs> well we can speak about the church at the universal level yeah. and the church at the local level and at the universal level we see still 
quite a few demands. For example, holy days of obligation. If I'm yeah. not in error, the holy days of obligation in the universal calendar as seen in the code of canon law are 10. But it says the local bishops conference can pass some of these to the nearest Sunday or can take them out altogether as holy days of obligation. I came to Australia in 1968. At that time, we had five holy days of obligation, which I always remembered as Christmas, New Year's, that is the Feast of the Divine Maternity of Mary, and the three A's, Ascension Thursday, Assumption of Our Lady, and, and it wasn't the Immaculate Conception, Hmm. No, I can't even remember what it was. Well, we're down to two. We're down to Christmas and the Assumption, Ascension, As Ascension yes. Thursday, Assumption, and All Saints, All Saints Day, all threes, three days. So we're reducing the level of the bar in this country. The English bishops, by the way, might have been all the bishops of Great Britain, I'm not sure, but they recommended that people go back to abstinence on all Fridays. That was another one that was taken away in this country. So we had we had abstinence on all the Fridays of the year. That was reduced to abstinence on the Fridays of Lent. And that was reduced now to abstinence together with fasting only on Ash Wednesday and Good Friday. So yes, I would say at the local level, we are lowering the bar. And let us not criticize the bishops for this. But the thinking was, when people are stopping practicing the faith and not even going to Mass on Sundays, let's not demand too much from them. But whether that, in hindsight, is a good idea or not, whether it generates and engenders more faith and more practice is certainly a matter of, of opinion. And so, here, uh, but... Uh, there is the universal level, there is the local level of an Episcopal conference, and in the end, there is the personal level. So what we are going to answer for before God, each one of us, is how we lived these matters. We can go to Mass every day of the year if we want. We can, we can live abstinence every Friday, as some people do. Some people fast from on bread and water Wednesdays and Fridays. Maronites do a lot more than, than the average Catholic too. So um, it's up to us. And I say, let us not be lenient on ourselves as foolish. Let us be generous with God and we will face him in the judgment and very well hear his words, well done, good and faithful servant, which is what we want to hear. So it's up to us personally. We can do whatever we want. Yeah, it's very yeah. important that you mention it's it's up to us personally. The church sets a bar, but we don't have to just follow the bare minimum. We can yeah. go above and beyond. So, um, yeah. so, I mean, the bare minimum is not the way of sanctity, just to seek to do the bare minimum. But if we can try and do more, uh, I mean, because we're not guaranteed salvation. We don't know till we're there. So, I mean, we want to be always pushing for more and pushing for more penance. Uh, yes, and you just used the operative word sanctity. The saints did not follow a low bar. The saints went well beyond it. 
we're all called the sanctity and now it's up to each one of us to what level we, we want to, to live, but let us be generous rather than stingy in that area. Now we're running out of time, I see, but two more blessings. Suffering can be offered up for others. So I'm suffering with this headache. I've got the cancer. Well, let's not just think of offering it up for my sins. Let us offer it up for our family, for our, our parents, brothers and sisters, our children, our grandchildren who are practicing the faith. So many people offer it up for the Pope, offer it up for the bishops, offer it up for the Synod of Bishops on Synodality beginning in a few weeks in October. So many intentions to offer it up. Offer it up for the poor people, the poor people in Libya, where the two dams collapsed and at least 11,000 people have died and a lot of bodies have not been recovered. They've been swept out to sea. I mean, it's just tragic what's going on there. And we can offer it up for those poor people and, and so many others, those migrants crossing the Mediterranean, Lampedusa, another thousand, I think, arrived in the last week or whatever it is. And then ships capsize because they're overloaded and so much suffering. We can offer it up for others who are suffering. And then finally, suffering benefits the carers. And here we just go to our Lord's words. Whatever you did to the least of your brethren here, you did to me. And he lists those corporal works of mercy. I was hungry and you gave me to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me to drink. I was naked and you clothed me. Well, mothers are doing that all the time. And fathers and people looking after the sick, nurses, palliative care specialists, doctors in hospitals, looking after people who are suffering. And they are doing that to Christ. They are storing up enormous treasure in heaven for themselves. Suffering is a great blessing if we receive it with faith in this light. And that's why I wrote this book and put that chapter in it. Because when all is said and done, some people like ourselves see suffering as a great blessing and some see it as a curse. And they curse God and they say there couldn't possibly be a God. Well, they're going to suffer all the more because of their lack of belief and acceptance of the suffering. But again, God will judge them in accordance with what they knew and they didn't know as much as we do. So exactly. it is a blessing. Let's take advantage of it. Uh, it's absolutely amazing. I mean, the whole the whole principle of suffering and how we take that and uh, have a great hope with it. But let's now go to the three practical tools for the week. How can our listeners, Father, take action with making sense of their suffering and sanctifying their suffering? What are some three practical tools for us to take action this week? Well, I would say the first one maybe should become second, but let's say first, when you suffer, we'll all suffer. And every day comes with a headache and just the small sufferings or an upset at in the workplace or a traffic jam or whatever it might be, then to begin with, don't complain. Just say, well, Lord, you have allowed this. I accept it. I don't understand why you do this, but it's up to you. You are my father. You want for me what is best. I accept it even without understanding it. So I think that kind of supernatural and even human positive response to suffering is a good start. But then I would recommend reading things about suffering. There's quite a few books. My chapter in this book is, is, is one that summarizes seven blessings. And the average person doesn't maybe distinguish seven blessings of suffering, but 
talks about the Christian meaning of it, read Salvifici Dolores, Pope John Paul II, on the Christian meaning of suffering. There's quite a few books, Making Sense of Suffering, I think is one of the titles. So if one reads something, then we have a, a greater understanding and not just accepting a mystery, but understanding like what I have just said or listen again to the program <laughs> might help some people. And then thirdly, when we are with someone who is suffering, pass on our own appreciation of this mysterious blessing that suffering is. Don't just say, look, I sympathize with you. I'm sorry for you. But try to explain if they have faith and even if they don't. Mind you, my two books, Dying to Live and The Final Exam, were written for people without faith, people who didn't believe in life after death, people who might be atheists. One of the blessings of that first book, Dying to Live, is the Muslim lady who is now, she finished it a long time ago. She has read my book, uh, Journey into Truth, Instructions on the Catholic Faith. Once, she's now going through it a second time. She's going to mass with her employer who gave her the book. He goes on weekdays and she goes on Fridays. So that's one blessing from a Muslim. I didn't write the book for Catholics and we purposely avoided any reference to me being a priest in those two books. So uh, the books can be understood, I, I think, by non-believers and Hopefully they can all get something out of it too. So when we're with somebody who is suffering, try to explain in the measure that they can take it in some meaning of suffering, something that maybe you as a listener of this program find meaningful for you or how you have coped with suffering in a given moment, pass that on to these people. Maybe you can help them to have a greater appreciation of this great blessing. Excellent, excellent. And, uh, and you definitely want to listen. You want to, we, we want to listen before we give any advice or uh, put give our input there because uh, many many times it's easy for us to jump to giving advice but but we got to listen to everybody there and so George uh, just let me comment on that I, I totally agree and what is more listening is a big part of this concept of synodality I wrote a column in the Catholic Weekly on synodality quoting a document from the Holy See on synodality. And what we don't do is be judgmental or jump in with our own ideas before we listen and understand where this person is spiritually, humanly. We listen, now we understand, then we, we just in a quiet way, an understanding way, a compassionate way, explain how we have experienced suffering ourselves, what meaning we found in it. But you're absolutely right. First, listen. Exactly. And on the topic of synodality, we're definitely praying for the uh, Synod on Synodality. Uh, it's taken up a lot of resources and, uh, and time. So we definitely pray for the fruits of the Synod on Synodality and that the church will be faithful to its teaching and its doctrine. And uh, we can be o open and welcoming to people without compromising the truth of our faith and to have the right balance and right approach. So um, we definitely pray for that, Father. So. Uh, that's, I think, on the minds of many people uh, who are listening here today. So we definitely pray for the Synod on Synodality. And uh, what is your final word of encouragement for us here today? Well, simply um, try to be, as you said, a person of faith, 
person who trusts in God, even when we don't necessarily understand what he's on about, and then try to be very, very Christ-like in our relationship with everybody. And we are speaking about our Catholic friends, our non-practicing Catholic friends, our other Christian friends, our non-Christian friends, our atheist friends, our transgender friends, are people of, of same-sex attraction, everybody. They're all children of God. God has a place in heaven for every single one of them. And let's be compassionate, understanding with them. We don't have to agree with lifestyles, but we do agree with persons, and they're all children of God. Excellent, excellent. And uh, if you can leave us with your blessing, Father. Mm, indeed, the blessing of a priest. May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit descend upon you and remain forever. And Amen. Forget, so you get a copy of Father John Slater's books, uh, The Final Exam and Dying to Live. They're available on all platforms and through Perusia. Thank you for tuning into the Catholic Toolbox. Don't forget to subscribe to the weekly podcast alert on thecatholictoolboxshow.com and subscribe to the podcast and all podcast platforms on the Catholic Toolbox. So thank you for tuning in to the Catholic Toolbox, The Art of Practical Catholicism. I'm your host and founder, George Manasseh. Until next week, God bless, take care, and take action. In this era of grave spiritual crisis, it is not enough to simply know about your Catholic faith. That is why we need a Catholic toolbox to equip us with the practical skills necessary to live our Catholic faith, to reach our ultimate goal, which is heaven for all eternity. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Join us every Tuesday night at 8pm for the Catholic Toolbox as we hand you the tools to go forth, live the faith and change our model world today live on The Voice of Charity. Music